Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to another lovely episode of the Liam's Led by Donkeys podcast. That's right, baby. <laughs> the coup is complete. Yes. I'm your host, Liam Anderson. <laughs> Sorry. I am your previous host, awaiting the recounting of ballot for our last election, Joe. And with me is my uh, soon-to-be executioner, Liam. Hello, Liam. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Uh, just another lovely day in the Donkcast universe where we accidentally create a coup on top of doing other things. That stuff happens. That's all right. Just pile it on top of everybody assuming that I've killed Nick or something. <laughs> we haven't killed Nick. Cannot emphasize that enough. He is in a secure place and he will be let out when he is allowed. Honestly, that part's not even a joke. I'm just not in control of it. Anyway, Liam, if there's one thing that we're good at on this show, it's being topical. Am I right? Yeah, that's what we are. We nail dates and times on every important date in history. We have uh, you know, an episode that follows that motif. Just like today, we're talking about the 4th of July for some reason. We are timely, baby. We're very timely. I think I've let a little slip over the years where I'm like, yes, I'm always working months ahead of time because I'm, I'm insane. I actually worked on and finished this script back during the summer. <laughs> And it's at the point where it's, it's universal, right? Because, you know, history isn't relegated to a date or anything like that. But what pissed me off is like, now we have a lot of American listeners. It's the country that listens to this show the most. But we have a lot of non-American listeners as well. Um, so it's one of the things that pissed me off uh, this past 4th of July. And actually, every 4th of July, really, is the American deification of the American Revolution. Uh, as this great liberatory event of uh, of personal Slave liberty, who didn't want to pay taxes. Yes, the triumph of personal liberty over the oppression of a monarchy. And if you get real drunk and squint really hard, that is technically true. But there's a lot of things that could be technically true while being incredibly wrong at the same time. Uh, now you see every year articles like this get trotted out what by people like the National Review, Fox News. The right-wing propaganda machine, yeah. I'm sure OAN is in on it. You see this as well from, you know, CNN, MSNBC when they're not screaming about Russians. Um like this isn't universally a right-wing thing, though obviously it's certain they're certainly the loudest. Um this is something of a popular history of the American Revolution that we get taught in schools, Same. at least when I was in school. I know I'm I'm old. No, you're only a few years older than I am. Hey, whatever you got to tell yourself to make yourself feel better. Aren't you like 33? <laughs> hey, you're three years older than I am, man. We're old. You know, my brother's three years older than me, and he feels like he's way older. But, you know, the reason why I bring this up, that, like I said, is this, this is something that unfortunately gets brought out a lot. Um, you see it in popular media. We talked about it in the Patriot, of course, in the bonus episode. Mel Gibson following his his trend of being the most inaccurate historical actor ever. Apocalypto is a pretty good movie, though. I will say that. That's the problem. Is I I love like the Patriot's incredibly inaccurate, but it's dumb and fun, and so is yeah. Braveheart. And yeah, like and you know this is all before he became a psychopath, uh, or at least on the surface. Yeah, publicly psychopathic, sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, and this is something that is it still survives when you talk about the racial implications of the American Revolution. Oftentimes you hear people say, well, some founding fathers wanted to outlaw slavery, but it just didn't make it to the table uh -huh. because uh -huh. things like human liberty and and happiness sometimes have an asterisk next to them, I guess that might be true. 
They just didn't want to fucking deal with it at best, which was which is just code for we simply cannot be bothered. Uh, they didn't care. They they were they're mostly slave owners. Um, right. And this, hey, this, yeah, well, 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 you keep John Adams' name out of your mouth. I said mostly. John Adams was not a great president, but like, John Adams is my favorite historical figure because I've got problems. That's fine. Um, you know, and I think we should evaluate how, say, more black people fought for the British than the Patriots during the Revolutionary War and how we should wonder why they would have done that. And, exactly. And how we square that with American history, as well as the founding fathers treatment of black people within the ranks of militias, the Continental Army, things like that. Um, that way, maybe we can look at the 4th of July like it's just another day that maybe needs some more education attached to it rather than a bad parody of Bioshock Infinite. But Joe, what about Crispus Attucks? Oh, yeah. Well, we actually will talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, now, we can agree with one thing. The American Revolution and the Declaration of Independence really was an event of true liberty if you happen to be a white man who owned land in the colonies and had some serious arguments with taxation policy. And that you didn't really feel like paying them or listening to pretty much anyone in any regards to any form of governance. This is a problem that would continue on after independence. And we've talked about that a little bit before uh, in the past. Uh, now, there are several populations of people that this revolution didn't do anything for. That being mostly anyone who was not a white land owning man. And uh, more specifically, black slaves that populated the 13 colonies at the time. Now, small caveat to this. I would also say the native people of the Americas. However, we would see how the British were just fine doing awful things to them in Canada with or without a revolution. So (laughs) that part was going to happen. Sucks. At the time of the revolution, the population of the 13 colonies were somewhere around 2 million. However, we're not ever going to be able to nail that exact number down. Maybe up to 2.5 million. But we do know around 20% of that entire population was slaves. Though in some colonies, this is regional. It was much higher than others. For instance, in 1770, just a few years before the start of the revolution, in places like Virginia uh, and more, even more rev, uh, like regionalized than that, like certain cities and counties, the population of slaves could be damn near half. Because, Fuck. yeah, it, but it, it was not always that way. While slaves had been brought to the Americas for quite some time by the Spanish and the Portuguese, the British held off until about the 17th century, though there was some low-level enslavement of the native population. What I'm saying is the industry of slavery had sure. not yet started on the, on the shores of the 13 colonies, generally considered African chattel slavery, right? Um, there's other slavery at play here. I get it. Instead, as people settled in Jamestown and other places, the settlers discovered that tobacco is going to be, you know, their cash crop, their lifeblood. Also, tobacco fucking sucks to farm. It, it requires, <laughs> it it requires it a does. lot of physical labor, right? And curing and all that stuff. And you'll be yeah. goddamned if they were going to do this themselves. Right. No, you do not want to farm tobacco. Now, at first, the British were happy to furnish them with cheap labor because, obviously, the more they harvested, the more money the British authorities could make off of them as a colony. Just like they would eventually do in Australia, the British pumped indentured servants in at first. Now, these were generally people sentenced to a term of labor for various crimes into America as free but temporary labor. These were not slaves. I often see indentured servants... The term indentured servant to be thrown around an awful lot with slave. It is much, much different. This generally is pegged to the Irish were slaves in America as well myth. Yep. No, they were not. No, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Though this is not an insignificant number. uh, And a lot of these dudes were kind of innocent and totally snatched off the streets, kind of shanghaied into being servants. I can't believe the British would do this. Yeah, it's almost like when you put a uh, profit narrative on top of people, people get treated like shit. That's crazy how that works. Yeah. In other cases, people wanted to immigrate to the, you know, 13 colonies, the New World, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they, it, this shit's expensive. Uh, transcontinental travel, it's being stuffed into a boat for weeks and weeks at a time, costs a lot of money. So they would effectively sell themselves into debt bondage to these companies to pay their way. They work on the tobacco farms until they pay off their debt. They're released in the 13 colonies. There they are. There's also just like other kinds of debt slavery. Of course, there's debt slavery. That shit still kind of goes on today, right? Yeah. 
This was so prominent for a while that half of all immigration to the colonies came in chains. For a time, significantly more Europeans, those being mostly Irish and various different forms of German, were the forced labor in the colonies more than anybody else. Notice how I said forced labor, not slaves. I will underline this as many times as I have to. (laughs) See, this is why we should have slides on this podcast. Yes. Uh, this came with a pretty big drawback, as you as you may have noticed. You're creating a surplus of population who are only there to work for free, who were eventually going to be released from that bondage. So eventually, you create a surplus of unemployed people who nobody's going to employ because they can just get other indentured servants who they don't have to pay. Like that's that's kind of the whole reason the system existed, right? Now, this population influx continued because wages among white people in Europe were increasing, meaning more people could just pay their way into the colonies rather than sell their bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the rate of indentured servants were going down while the rate of unemployed former indentured servants in the colonies were going up. This led kind of to the Bacon's Rebellion of 1676. Uh, and this kind of led planters and landowners to, to worry about the dangers of creating a large class of restless, landless, and poor white men. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Many of whom uh, could not find any work whatsoever that could... Because you can't compete against free, right? Right. So by 1672, that began to change. King Charles II rechartered the Royal African Company in order to take a serious crack at all the money in the Atlantic slave trade. God damn it, dude. Yeah. Now, at the time, this was mostly a Spain and Portugal venture. For settlers in the colonies, this took some time to get used to. Because uh, as a business proposal, owning a slave is much more expensive than temporarily owning an indentured servant. The slaves are never going to be free. Right, because you want them and their children forever. Not yet. That, oh, okay. That'll happen. Okay. My fault. That fixes the other problem involved with owning a lot of people, uh, that it's a self-perpetuating machine. That's the other problem, as we know, not, not none of the morals. Unfortunately, when you're talking about white dudes in the 1600s, you need to just get rid of morals and ethics. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. They've, they've already worked themselves, all of these God-fearing Christian men, right? And they've already worked themselves into a headspace where purchasing a human being is okay. So, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Now... Slaves cost more up front, uh, but they have the added bonus, like I said, of your labor supply is never going to decrease unless they die, um, which did happen a lot because of abuse, neglect, disease, what have you. Uh, but your slave was never going to be free. So they cost more up front. But by the early 1700s, the slave population of the colonies had exploded. While most of the slaves of the Atlantic slave trade went to the colonies in the Caribbean, Brazil, and Spanish America for various reasons. Uh, For the Spaniards, I can't go into this far enough, but I also cannot explain to the proper extent that the Spanish had killed so many slaves that they they were almost constantly at a a negative. Like they had to constantly Im- uh, import Jesus slaves. Yeah, Christ, this, their sugar dude. plantations were a, like hell on earth. Just death camp. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to go into this to the extent that it, that it, it should, but they started importing sure. slaves to these areas because they've already killed off the native population through slavery. And this is one of the terms that led to Raphael Lemkin coining the term genocidal slavery in regards to okay. the concept of genocide. So Spain, that's you. Well done. But they got the majority of the slaves coming from the Atlantic slave trade, but also a lot of uh, a lot of them went hit by vape and desperation. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of these slaves did go to British America, of course, which then began to rapidly multiply because children. Right, this was yeah. uncommon for slave colonies in other areas. It didn't really seem like having kids was something that the Spanish were really okay with. On top of their just incredible death rate meant that this didn't really occur so often other places. It was definitely an aspect of British slavery more. I'm not saying that meant that the British were okay. I don't right. want anybody to be confused that I'm saying that at any point of this episode that the British were, okay, were the good guys here. Um, right, right. Don't get it twisted. We're talking about shades of evil. <laughs> of course, this coincided with the development of what we now know as chattel slavery in America, meaning slaves gave birth to slaves under the legal doctrine, quote, that which is brought forth follows the belly. 
meaning slaves could only birth up more slaves. God, even that sounds fucked up. Yeah, exactly. This also included Virginia's black codes, which restricted the very few freedmen who existed in the colonies at this time to effectively live under the same laws as slaves. This meant within a few generations, slaves were a very large minority population in whichever of the colonies they ended up in. With this boom in population became the birth of American policing, slave patrols. Slave patrols. In case you're wondering where the, uh, the unemployed white men went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Now, a small side note here. There's a lot of surviving institutions that were birthed during this time, including Southern military academies like VMI and the Citadel. They were literally founded for the purpose of training slave patrols. Way to go, Roz. <laughs> they still exist today uh, for reasons I cannot comprehend. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, oh, and, and another side note. Both of those schools should probably be shut down. You know, yeah. They continue to pump out just vehement racists. Enter the Somerset case. Uh, now, James Somerset, a slave taken to England by his master, Charles Stewart, had run away while in England. Recaptured and in chains of the ship bound for Jamaica, he sued for his freedom. In June 1772, Lord Mansfield, Chief Justice of the King's Bench, ruled, quote, The state of slavery is such a nature that is incapable of being introduced by any reasons, moral or political, but only by positive law, which preserves its force long after the reasons, occasions, and time itself from whence it was created, is erased from memory. It is so odious that nothing can be suffered to support it but positive law. Whatever inconveniences thereof may follow from this decision, I cannot say this case is allowed or approved by the law of England, and therefore the black must be discharged. Sorry for the language, guys. I'm quoting a lot of shit from the 1700s in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I always don't say the slur that pops up if it pops up. Now, I do need to explain this case a little bit because sometimes it's explained as the British freed the slaves, and that's not what happened. Um, the crux of this case is the legality in shipping slaves back to where they had been escaped from if they managed to get to other British-held lands where the practice was no longer legal or restricted in some way. So running for your freedom. Right. But it ended up going further than that in reality, by, but also being incredibly underwhelming. This is sometimes pointed to that the American Revolution was over slavery. And as gross and horrible as our founding fathers were, that's not actually the case. England was not coming for their slaves, though that is a fear. The more labor being done in the fields at this time directly rewarded the British. Why the fuck would they get rid of slavery? Right. They did not care who was doing labor under what conditions. Mansfield's decision outlawed slavery only in England, but it did not apply to British colonies. This is due to a technicality more than moral standards. Mansfield said slavery should exist per statute, positive law, if at all. And there was no law on the books allowing it within English common law. But mm. there were slaves and there were slaves in colonies and there was there was laws in the colonies that allowed slavery, meaning slavery should be allowed because it's a positive law on the books. Yes, it's very stupid. Now, here's the other funny thing. None of this mattered. It just didn't end slavery in England either. The government could just ignore the high court's decision. It wasn't a cool. law. <laughs> Fucking cool. And they did. At no point was the government forced to listen to the court's decision. It was considered a suggestion at most. That's the, the long and short of it, I guess. Uh, I mean, they continued to trade in slaves all over the empire as well as at home. For years afterwards, people could openly buy and sell slaves in England to include uh, newspaper ads in London itself. Now, this went on until 1807 when Parliament got involved and actually did outlaw slavery within England legally in some form. And it wasn't until another 30 years after that that it was banned across the empire in some forms. Debt slavery was still on the table. Whoa. So we're talking 30, almost like, what, 30 years after the revolution. Fucking Jesus yeah. Christ. And granted, that is about 60 years out before we would. <laughs> so there's that. Nope. But Congratulations, boys. I only got off on that side tangent because people often say that the revolution was truly about slavery. Uh, it's not that simple. 
I really wish I could say that. It's like saying the, the, the Civil War was about slavery. It was. It was absolutely about slavery. <laughs> Revolution is a lot more gray. But it didn't matter to American slaves or colonists. American slave owners thought the Brits might come for their slaves. And this was a real fear that did come through uh, like patriot propaganda at the time. While the slaves also thought that if they ran away and got the British held lands that were not the 13 colonies, they would gain their freedom. So this worked for both sides negatively because that's also not what the court was saying. Uh, this became more and more known as it became clear that the American Revolution was going to go from you know barroom debate to actual war. Now, the American elite leading the revolution were terrified of the idea of the British whipping up a slave revolt. Not only would this implode their colonial economy that was completely dependent on slaves, but it would also mean they would immediately have tens of thousands of irregular so- soldiers available for recruitment at the start of any war. That being freed slaves, the British could put them in a red coat. Most of them, right, sure. James Madison wrote to William Bradford on this on the conviction that if, quote, if American Britain come to hostile rupture, I'm afraid an insurrection among the slaves may and will be promoted. Yes. And to Madison's credit, that's absolutely some plan that a lot of British commanders had. John Murray, 4th Earl of Dunmore, and the last royal governor of Virginia, that was his first plan. Uh, he brought this idea to Lord Dartmouth, the secretary of the colonies in 1772, three years before shit would actually go hot. But it was solidly in that these revolutionaries will not shut up territory and they knew something was going to pop off. Right. Remember, a lot of the original grievances of the revolution were a difference in mostly taxation policy. Uh, many of the loudest patriots did not want independence necessarily. They consider themselves Englishmen and wanted to live under English law. They simply wanted it to be fair to them. And you know, to the people that these laws did apply to, they were unfair. I guess I have to give them that much. Taxation without representation does suck. Something that the United States has never done again. Probably never done again. Moving on. Moving on. Has decided to ignore completely in places like Washington D.C., Guam, Puerto Rico, American Samoa. It doesn't matter now because whatever. Now Murray's thing was okay. Well, these guys want English law. They can fucking have it. Somerset law and all. Armed conflict was looming, and Patrick Henry had done his give me liberty or give me death speech. Dunmore had ordered the Royal Marines to seize a gunpowder sword in Williamsburg Magazine. Uh, that was on the night of April 20th and 21st. And at this point, Virginia was threatening to erupt into open violence and Dunmore backed down. Now, Dunmore is forced to pay restitution for the power, which is kind of funny. Uh, and he lost yeah. his temper in front of a group of town leaders at this point, doing probably the dumbest thing he could have done at the time. Uh, Williamsburg resident Dr. William Pasteur heard the governor say that, quote, he would declare freedom to the slaves and reduce the city of Williamsburg to ashes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he, <laughs> all right. Based. <laughs> he boasted that he would have, quote, all of the slaves on the side of the government, which not what you want to do if you want to calm tempers. Like, I, I, ooh, man, after my own heart, just coming out swinging, huh? Uh, you're going to regret those words as you normally do. Never mind. No, you know what? I don't regret. No, you know, it's, I will it's say Dunberg, not a champion of the freed black man. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> say I'm shocked. Uh, now, this led Henry and the Hanover militia to confront Murray, eventually chasing him from the capital of Williamsburg, taking refuge on some Royal Navy boats off the coast. Now, the Virginia Convention quickly assured the governor of his personal safety, but expressed its extreme displeasure at this, quote, most diabolical scheme meditated and generally recommended by a person of great influence to offer freedom to our slaves to turn them against their masters. It's diabolical as you goddamn want. What do you care? Yeah, that's a Virginia Convention, too. So, like, yeah, slavery is definitely part of the revolution. Um, uh, it's fine. Now, it should be pointed out, one important man did not want to promise him safety, that being George Washington. <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, not, not shocked. Washington was a bastard, man. He was uh, very much in the uh, let's kill him mood. He said, quote, I do not think that forcing his lordship on shipboard is sufficient. Nothing less than depriving him of life or liberty will secure peace in Virginia. As motives of resentment actuate his conduct to a degree equal to the total destruction of that colony. So, I mean, he's equaling the freedom of slaves to the destruction of Virginia. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. 
Of course he is, right? Like, yeah, I mean, this man owned a lot of slaves. His teeth were made out of slave teeth. I guess he's not wrong in that, like, that's how capital goes belly up for him. And if it's a slave colony, like a slave colony, basically. Christ, what an asshole. If the British could do this in a more organized manner, the, the, I mean, which we'll talk about more later, uh, the result would have been much different, I think. But the war was on. Dunmore couldn't just return to Williamsburg, um, and he couldn't really fight anything either. The garrison that he had at his disposal was about 300 Royal Marines, and you know, reinforcements were an ocean away. With the caught between a rock and uh, a hard place, he decided to welcome supporters of the British crown of any skin color. Now, as word spread along the coast that the British were uh, open to black people within the ranks and will give them a gun, about 100 runaway slaves reached Dunmore's fleet in the fall of 1775. Now, with this corps, he created the somewhat confusingly named Ethiopian Regiment. What? Now, I say confusingly because they were neither Ethiopian nor an entire regiment. (laughs) All right. I assumed he picked... The one country in Africa not currently being exploited by Europeans at the time, though I believe they were going under the name Abyssinia at the time. I don't know. Makes it, There's a lot of layers to this dumb, stupid name. Then uh, Murray decided to kick the Patriot movement in the dick by publishing what is now known as the Dunmore Proclamation. I gotta say, this episode's quite proclamation heavy, so, so bear with me. Yeah, it's the 1700s, man. People were claiming shit all- yeah, Everybody spoke in proclamation. Nobody made fucking mixtapes. It's bullshit. <laughs> Now, the proclamation declared martial law in the area, as well as the promise of freedom to any slave that ran from their master and joined the British side. Now, I don't think I need to point out here that Murray Dunmore, whatever you want to call him, was not a fan of of freeing black people or freeing slaves. He didn't give a single fuck about the enslaved population of the colonies. He owned slaves himself. Uh, Now, the proclamation read, quote, all indentured servants, Negroes, or others appertaining to the rebels, free that are able and willing to bear arms, they are joining His Majesty's troops as soon as may be for the speedily reducing this colony to a proper sense of their duties to His Majesty's crown and dignity. Weirdly, I need to point out that in those proclamation, the word is fucking word vomit at some point. The Majesty is in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to His Majesty's crown and dignity. <laughs> Uh, now, this was not a general emancipation of slaves or indentured servants, if you look at the wording of that. Dunmore invited only those slaves to his banner that were owned by rebels and only those who were male and able to bear arms. Now, I do have to say that he wasn't exactly checking to see who was who. So, like, if you were a loyalist runaway slave, uh, like loyalist to the British, I mean, like, he wasn't gonna be able to find out. Uh, now, mu- right. much like Lincoln's later Emancipation Proclamation, this is fully an economic and military matter, not one of ethics. Um, mm. The colonists were horrified. One wrote, quote, hell itself could not have vomited anything more black than this design of emancipation of our slaves. Christ, asshole. Yeah. A flood of slave defections would deplete the rebels' labor force, demoralizing them with the, as- with the prospect of imminent insurrection and the swell of the British ranks with new recruits whose freedom and whose very lives would now rest on a British victory. This is a win-win for the Brits. If they were not so racist, we'll get there. Ironically, British High Command shared the colonists' attitude on this matter. This is because Dunmore's plan had already been brought up to them and rejected (laughs) because they were worried about a slave revolt when they won. So knowing that his plan would get shit canned, Dunmore just slipped his his proclamation into his proclamation of martial law without consulting them a second time. Good for him. Yeah, the old uh, ask ask for forgiveness, not permission. (laughs) This just says, what are you going to do about it in all caps? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the proclamation is already published. Look at all these guys I got with guns now. Like, are you really going to undo this? And also, you know, information traveled incredibly slowly at the time. Uh, now, the rebel Americans quickly fired back with their own proclamation a month later. Sorry, this one's long. Quote, whereas Lord Dunmore, by his proclamation, dated on the board of Board the ship William off Norfolk, the seventh day of November, 1775, hath offered freedom to such able-bodied slaves that they're willing to join him and take up arms against the good people of this colony, giving thereby encouragement to a general insurrection. 
which may induce a necessity of inflicting the severest punishments upon those unhappy people already deluded by his base and insidious arts. And whereas by act of the general assembly now in force in this colony is enacted that all Negro or other slaves conspiring to rebel or make insurrection shall suffer death and be excluded all benefit of clergy. We think it proper to declare that all slaves who have been or shall be seduced by his lordship's proclamation or other arts to desert their master's service and take up arms against the inhabitants of this colony shall be liable for punishment such as shall hereby be directed by the general convention. And to that end, who have taken this unlawful and wicked step may return safely to their duty and escape punishment due to their crimes. We hereby promise to pardon them. They surrendered themselves to Colonel William Woodford and any commander of our troops and not appearing in arms after the publication thereof. And we do further earnestly recommend it to all humane and benevolent persons in this colony to explain and make known this is our offer to mercy of those unfortunate people. Slaves. Unfortunate people are slaves. And like I, literally, I literally almost just pulled my head through our monitor in protest. And their duty is returning to enslavement. Okay. Okay, guy. This is, this is the, the revolutionary government of America. You should be glad you didn't get hanged by these people. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. Yeah, buddy. But Murray's new regiment immediately saw an impact on the war. Wearing a uniform that included a sash that actually read Liberty to Slaves written across it. <laughs> they numbered around 100 All right. and first saw battle at Kemp's Landing in November 15, 1775. Some of them wore a sash that said Liberty to Slaves, while other, other ones just wore like a shirt that had Liberty to Slaves written on it, which is admittedly like the coolest army uniform I've ever heard of. Like straight to the point. Everybody knows why you're there. Right. Now, at Kemp's Landing, they walked right into an ambush led by a Patriot militia commanded by Joseph Hutchings. But the militia had no real training, and they opened up way too early. Remember, they're all using like brown best muskets here. Uh, right. So if you if you you know fire off your load too early, it could take almost a minute to reload. This gave away their position and allowed the Ethiopian regiment, which had spent their last several weeks being trained by Royal Marines, uh, to immediately... Still very confusingly named. Still very confusingly named. To immediately advance on the militia's position and just shoot the hell out of them, sending them running. Now, if this isn't embarrassing enough, they then captured Hutchings uh, with the added little little sting of the freedman that, that put him in chains happened to be one of his runaway slaves. Good. Hell yeah. Actually, I got something for that. Just took it to my veins! (laughs) (laughs) Now, unfortunately for the Ethiopian regiment, they were not long for this world. Their next battle, the Battle of Great Bridge, is where the Patriots had set up an ambush. They sent a, a black man with some sources noting he was one of the Patriot slaves to be a double agent to the British. Knowing Murray was open to allowing pretty much anybody in his ranks at that point, he's like, yeah, sure, come on in. Now, the double agent told Murray the nearby rebels were held up in a fort at Great Bridge and were sickly and without training, knowing this would be an easy target for his kind of outnumbered army here, or Ethiopian regiment. Murray ordered an attack. Now, these sickly and without training and outnumbered rebels were actually 800 people commanded by Colonel William Woodford and uh, were decently well-trained and prepared for this. Now, during the attack, over 100 British were killed and only one rebel was wounded. Uh, noted as it was a slight wound to the thumb. Uh, I assume he pinched it in his musket somehow. <laughs> now, once again with Murray on the run, he took refuge on an overcrowded Royal Navy ship as he had before. Unfortunately, if you know anything about close quarters in the 1700s, these things were just... That guy got scurvy and died. Actually... Murray didn't, but you know who did? Pretty much the entire Ethiopian regiment. Oh. The spread of smallpox uh, just annihilated them. But this would not be the first or only time the British did something like this during the war. Though I should point out here, this is all very regional. Some British commanders welcomed runaway slaves under the units, while others, like Sir William Howe, discharged them on the spot when he actually took command and saw what was happening. Uh, He ordered his army to, quote, be on the most respectable footing and all Negroes, mulattoes, and other improper persons who had been admitted Jesus. into these corps be immediately discharged. So yeah, this is this is not a Go Britain episode at all. 
Now, for instance, after the Dunmore Proclamation, there were others. There's the Phillipsburg Proclamation in 1779, written by Sir Henry Clinton, which had pretty much the same thing as Dunmore's, but expanded the scope infinitely. Instead of being able to bear arms, it changed to being literally any slave owned by a rebel. Uh, so it was that was more the British version of the Emancipation Proclamation than the Dunmore one. Now, this caused such a rapid depopulation of slaves from the recently established you know, United States, kind of, uh, that Clinton wasn't sure what to do with them all. There were so many slaves that ran to British lines during this point, he could not feed everybody and sent some back to their masters. Now, unfortunately, mm. a lot of these slaves got executed when they went back. Right. Now, it's thought to be around 100,000 slaves uprooted and ran during this time, which, going off yeah. of previous numbers, was a full 5% of the entire American population becoming internally displaced people as they ran for their freedom. Now, facing this in rebel colonies, they did the same thing to the loyalists. Rebel formations offered freedom if slaves ran from their British masters or loyalist masters, whichever. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for the slaves that did that, they were I'm not again, not you do not have to hand it to the British, but they did keep them uh, uh, at, behind British lights as freedmen, gave them jobs as laborers. More importantly, they gave them jobs, they did not enslave them. But again, that's also not a monolith. A lot of these slaves that ran from the British side or the, the loyalists or British side ran to the rebel side, they were often captured and pressed into slavery just on the other side. I love doing it. Other people, especially slavery patrols, would capture the runaway slaves and then sell them. Uh, So the American version of this is real bad. At first, it would get better. Again, the British freed slaves for economic reasons, but by now they'd hired thousands of German mercenaries known as Hessians to fill the gaps in their manpower. That, combined with the racism of people like Howe, meant it it no longer would runaways form formal ranks within the British military. But they did know the war was draining the manpower of the rebels and draining it further by sending a huge percentage of the slave population running was a great way to tank their economy and force them to redirect military men to work the fields, uh, which is what they had to do. In the beginning of the war, the Continental Army and George Washington himself was against arming black people or promising them freedom for service. At one point, he called Murray a traitor to humanity for offering freedom to slaves in exchange for service. Now, there's two reasons for that. Washington a bitch. Washington a bitch. Uh, so there's three reasons now. Washington's mm-hmm. a bitch. Uh, racism, obviously. Yeah. But also, like we've pointed out, everyone in charge of the colonies, for the most part, in any form of real leadership, owned slaves. Their riches were built upon the backs of enslaved people. By offering this version of freedom, they would not only financially fuck over the new nation or more accurately, independent state, since you know a federal government was more of a vibe at this point. Uh, but also they would fuck themselves over, not to mention arming and training slaves. Sounds like a really good way to get shot by your own slaves at some point. Especially if you weren't going to give them liberty or death, right? Right. That whole thing. Though the colonies and even individual towns were not a monolith within the American Revolution. In some cases, free black men joined the Minutemen and local militias uh, when calls came up. And there was no complaints about it. Famously, Crispus Attucks was a generally believed to be a mixed race man, was one of the first people shot dead in the Boston Massacre, and was an early American patriot. Though a whole lot of effort has gone into obfuscating his, his racial character throughout oh, history. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In 1775, at least 10 to 15 black soldiers, including some freed slaves, fought the British at the battles of Lexington and Bunker Hill, the gene seed of the revolution. Two of these men, Salem Poor and Peter Salem, earned special distinction for their bravery. But by 1776, it had become clear that the revolutionary ideas of the founding fathers did not include them. Only days after taking command in 1775, George Washington decreed that no black, free, or enslaved could be recruited to fight. Generally, he's meaning the Continental Army, not individual state militias here. Mm. But by 1776, early war enthusiasm, enthusiasm had worn off. And he was uh, chewing f- through white boys faster than he could replace them. Funny how that happens. Yeah, weird how when you do a war on racial supremacy, you tend to shoot yourself in the foot. So in order to fill ranks, he caved, allowing black men to enlist. But they couldn't be slaves. They had to be previously freed men. 
Now, since it was easy to lie about slave status, uh, they could just run away and claim to be free. Several states put laws in the book that made it illegal for recruiters into the Continental Army or state militias to accept black men without a certificate of freedom. Now, thankfully, much as today as then, recruiters are kind of shiftless and have quotas to meet, so they just forge them. <laughs> now, another way a slave can end up in the ranks of the, uh, the new American military was through substitution. If you happen to be a slave owner, you could legally send a slave to serve uh, in the ranks, say, in your place or your sons as a proxy should you be drafted. Literally replacement. And this also meant that you got your slave's paycheck. Cool. By 1777, some states began enacting laws that encouraged white owners to give slaves to the army in return for an enlistment bounty, like you know, a yield bonus of sorts that could equate a few hundred dollars, which is a lot. Right. Um, now, if that sounds like the government literally purchased slaves for to use them in war that's because they did yes and this also weirdly enough ended up being the first and almost last time the u.s army would become racially integrated in some form or another though not really until the korean war 175 years later fucking christ dude now, remember, this is the 1700s. The federal government was purposefully weak, and recruitment efforts were left up mostly to state and local actors. Uh, the same went for recruiting policy, um, since states were given quotas to fill the Continental Army. Like, you know, we need X amount of people from Virginia, X amount of people from whatever. And then they supply those men to the Continental Army. But I'm going to do everybody a favor here and just not separate the two at this point, because it's kind of hard to do so. Now, the Militia Act of 1775 specifically excluded freed black men from the draft. But in 1777 in Virginia, worried that the idea that all the white men would get drafted, laying all the black men laying, like working on the farm, doing business in town, whatever, becoming the majority. Fucking their wives. That's right. Becoming institutional Jodies. (laughs) They decided to flip the draft on its head by like, no, 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 we need to draft more black people. To make sure they don't outnumber the white people. So in some states, a lot more black people were drafted, like freed black men. But also some of them weren't free. They were like known to be runaways or whatever that were like living on the, the outskirts of the law. They're like, whatever, fuck you, you drafted. Um, now, according to Governor Thomas Nelson, this is done for the most... I mean, I have already de- described why this is racist, but this is even more racist than that. Governor Thomas Nelson said, quote, it was thought that they could best be spared. For a comparison, Rhode Island and Massachusetts probably fielded more black soldiers in segregated and integrated units than anyone else. This also included the only black officer of the entire war, George Middleton. Though I don't want to use the term officer here. I don't want to stand by that term because he was a militiaman. And he was just given the rank of a colonel to lead other black militiamen. This was not like a Continental Army Commission. He was not an official officer. So I really don't want to say he was the first black officer in the, in the United States military. It gives too much credit to the military. Sure. And he was only allowed to command other black militiamen who made up the Bucks of America. Yeah, that was their name. Which was part of the larger Massachusetts militia. And so little was written about his militia formation that pretty much all we know is that he commanded it. And that was its name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, northern colonies finally reluctantly allowed black people to work with them uh, when regards to military service begrudgingly. And if you jump through a lot of hoops and also if you wanted to be drafted as a meat shield, the southern colonies where the vast majority of slaves were went the other direction on this. I'm shocked. Now, they're happy to allow slaves to work in their small riverine navies, which, you know, barely a thing at the time. Right. They almost entirely refused to allow slaves into their army and militia formations. Now, at the same time, the northern colonies were integrating their units, mostly due to a shortage of manpower. Places like South Carolina and Georgia. Georgia's real. is Honestly... The, the worst offender in almost everything I'm about to say. Yeah, they usually fucking are. Fuck the Braves. They offered slaves as an enlistment bonus alongside cash what? to people. Oh, no. come on, dude. So to explain this, everybody often uses the, the explanation 
why would people fight for it? Now, I'm going to talk about the Civil War here, not the Revolutionary War. Why would people fight for slaves if most people didn't own slaves, right? Because it's true. Most people didn't. But they were seen as such a status symbol and a symbol of wealth that they were offered as a bonus for military service during the Revolution because people knew owning slaves is how you get fucking rich. Not only that, that's how you become a landed gentry and shit. Like this is, this is literal like social ladder shit we're talking here. Uh, owning a slave. Literally right. the state giving you a slave as a bonus. Dude, that's so... We talk about fuck stuff on this show a lot, but Jesus Christ. Some stuff is just so goddamn egregious. I am very rarely taken aback by things that I discover during yeah, research here. <laughs> Even in school, mostly, like, because uh, history is universally terrible. But every once in a while, you plumb the depths of history to something so terrible. Like, holy shit. Um, because, like, I, I immediately saw this as an enlistment bonus. They call it a bounty, but it's the same thing. Because, like, I got an enlistment bonus when I enlisted in the army way long time ago. It's like $4,000, but when you're 17, that's like all the money in the world. Right. What Camaro did you buy, Joe? I bought a really terrible Jeep Wrangler that broke down immediately. I'm so proud of you. Now, yeah, I followed the proud Jeep tradition of being unreliable trash. In the same idea, I mean, granted, I wouldn't be considered white in the revolutionary sense of America, but if I would have enlisted in 1775 or whatever in Georgia, they would be like, ah, yeah, sign here for your, I think it was like two years, of, uh, one year of service, even less than that. Here's your, here's your human. He's your property now. I'm going to throw up. I mean, I'm not literally going to throw it's up. It's just fucking insane. To. Now, the reason why I told you all of that, because uh, that's not how the script started. The script started uh, because I wanted to tell the story of Titus Cornelius. Uh, who is not a Roman emperor, but rather a runaway slave from New Jersey. He's commonly known as Colonel Ty, and I'll call him Ty for the rest of us. Ty was born a slave in Colts Neck, New Jersey, and was owned by a Quaker, which is interesting because the Quakers actually strongly opposed slavery. Yeah. In 1758, would publish an edict to end it within their own insular community. But Ty's master, a guy named John Corleys, just refused to do that. And he was actually such a bastard because I'm not saying that the Quakers were good to their slaves because you cannot be nice to slaves. Right. right. I'm not going to go into that. But like even the Quakers had laws that said you had to teach your slaves how to read and write so they could um, like read the word of God. He didn't even do that. So even by shitty Quaker slave owners uh, standards, he was a pretty shitty Quaker slave owner. Um, Now. Instead of doing that, he would just beat the shit out of his slaves for breaking the most minor rule. Um, and he was such a bastard that the Society of Friends, which is a Quaker group that he was a part of, kicked him out. You have to, fu- you have to fuck up pretty bad to get kicked out. He's a freelance Quaker at this point. Re- really uh, you know, shopping the, uh, the free agency market. He might become a Mormon. I don't know. But uh, Ty uh, educated himself because his master is such a shithead, uh, teaching himself how to read and write with the help of other slaves when they all got together to work on farms together. But the day after the Dunmore Proclamation, Ty escaped from his master and made his way to Virginia, where he linked up with the Ethiopian regiment. Once there, he enlisted and fought in the Battle of Monmouth, where he was with hundreds of black men on the field, and not a single one fought for the revolution. Wow. In this first engagement, he proved to the British how good of a soldier and a leader he was. He just kind of just grabbed a group of militiamen to follow him when he saw what he thought was the captain of the local militia running away. And he was right. And he beat the shit of and captured the local leader of the militia. Good. But like we talked about already, the Ethiopian regiment eventually collapsed under a pile of smallpox. But that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Ty was one of the few that did not die and said he got over it, uh, which you know, just flexed on smallpox. (laughs) And then he fell under the pay of William Franklin. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it should. He's Benjamin Franklin's loyalist son. (laughs) Now, William's idea was to use him to launch a guerrilla war in the woods of New Jersey. Oh, hell yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, All right. <laughs> slaves were used for a lot of things back in the day, like carting shit back and forth. So, like, he knew that this guy, Ty, would know the woods like the back of his hand, and he was right. This was the, f- the birth of Ty's Black Brigade, which, despite its name, was mixed race. 
He had black and white loyalists in his ranks, and it was informally commanded by Ty through democracy. <laughs> so they're Aww. they're kind of interracial swamp anarchists. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm quite pleased with that, actually. Yeah, this made him one of the few and maybe only black commanders of white troops on either side during the entire war. Now, since people relied so heavily on slave labor, the slaves that were recruited into the ranks knew everything. They were delivery people. They worked in the fields. They worked in your home. They cleaned. They did manual labor for you. This meant that not only did these newly freed men and women, he did not discriminate. He would take whole families into the ranks. Not only did these men know everything like the backs of their hands, they knew who everybody was. Because it wasn't like these these patriot rebels or whatever you want to call them censored themselves when speaking in front of their slaves. Because right. one, they believed that slaves are too dumb to understand concepts like liberty and freedom. And two, they're not going to run away. I own them. So soon they ran away with no one, just about everything about everybody in the local community. Now, using that knowledge, they launched raids throughout the, the county and the town of Shrewsbury. Ty captured 80 cows and 20 horses along, along with a few local rebels and led them into the, the swamp where they ate like kings and shot the rebels. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased by this. Now, the Black Brigade set up a forest base that they called Refugee Town. Endor. <laughs> <laughs> where they launched raids against the local rich slave owners in the area, killing them, burning their homes down, and freeing their slaves under the shrouds of darkness. By 1779, Ty worked closely with a loyalist white unit called the Queen's Rangers around New York City, which was then occupied by British forces. Using the city as a base, they would sneak back south into Jersey, raiding, stealing, and killing as they went. They would then bring their goods back north, as well as guard thousands of runaway slaves as they moved north to take refuge behind British lines. A lot of these slaves end up being resettled in Canada um, and you know, other places. Once word got out that what exactly the Black Brigade was, because like people assumed it was just another like guerrilla group of loyalists, because there's quite a few. Right. Uh, once people got out like, no, 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 they're armed black people. Rebel from the county that Ty came from were terrified uh, for reasons like I explained. These slaves knew everything about all these people's day-to-day lives. They knew who was a Feels loyalist so and good. who was a patriot. Feels so good. Feels so good to kill the slave owner. <laughs> like someone pointed out, uh, one of the sources I used pointed out that Ty had kind of accidentally created like an, a massive intelligence apparatus about New Jersey. <laughs> Ty would gather information from these slaves, some of whom were welcome into his ranks, while others were pushed off British lines because they didn't want to fight or work in the camp, at which point Ty would launch raids against these houses, leaving the slaves to choose what happened to their former masters and their families, and sometimes arming the slaves to let them do what they will with them. Now, I feel so good. The fear of being raided by the Black Brigade swept through Jersey, even though that they rarely murdered people outright. Like, I do say that they killed and murdered people. Like, rarely were people being captured and then just shot in the face. Um, Now, if you took up arms and your life was forfeit, one of the things they enjoyed doing was capturing people and then trading them to the British to be bartered off as prisoners, to be thrown in prison ships, where a lot of them died of smallpox. That'll happen. Yeah, the prison ships and the, the Revolutionary War were nightmarish. But it's also, you can't ignore the deep irony of these slave owners being captured by freed slaves and then being sold to the British. <laughs> Don't own slaves. Don't own slaves. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it. This is one of the, the things in this uh, in the show we like to call the Uno reverse card of history. How do you like it, motherfucker? <laughs> That's actually what their banner said, which was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we we actually brought down the Liberty to Slaves uh, uh, sash, and we've, we've risen the fuck around and find out sash. <laughs> but like this, this not widespread murder spree didn't assange the fear of armed black people roaming the woods of Jersey. Quote, the worst is to be feared from the irregular troops the so-called Tories have assembled from various nationalities. For example, a regiment of Catholics, a regiment of Negroes who are fitted and inclined towards barbarities, who are lacking in human feeling and are familiar with every corner of the country. (laughs) Yeah, that seems like your problem. If you beat the Black Brigade, we're sending in the Papists. (laughs) 
Eventually, the governor of Jersey, William Livingston, evoked martial law, but that did not stop Ty from continuing his personal war against the rebels in the region. When they weren't stealing, they were acting as a hit squad. Sometimes they would kill slave owners, but oftentimes they would hunt down rebels who were doing the same thing they were doing, assassinating loyalists. It's like uh, tit-for-tat assassinations going on. During one of these missions to kill Captain Joshua Huddy, a local militia captain known for ruthlessly murdering loyalists, Ty was shot, catching a musket ball on the wrist. Unfortunately, it's the 1700s and a minor wound will kill you. Oh, R.I.P. Young hero. Getting shot in the wrist was fatal back then because nobody could get all the ghosts out of your blood or whatever, and he died of an infection two days later. Uh, now, the Black Brigade did not die with him, however. It was taken over by Stephen Bluck, who was, uh, one, an owner of a terrible last name, and two, a mixed-race man, originally from Barbados, but had moved to the colonies and settled with the British. He was not a runaway slave that I understand. Uh, he was just happened to be mixed-race. He was just ready, ready to kill some rebels. That's yeah. fun. He folded Ty's unit into his Black Company of Pioneers, Sick name. And they worked as like saboteurs and engineers and stuff. It was pretty rad. Uh, Luck read his unit until the end of the war, where most of them were relocated to Canada with thousands of other freed slaves who had been ferried up there during the conflict, where they eventually became known as the Black Nova Scotians. Yep. Yep. Now, this is where things... Depends on where you are. Yeah. Um, Now, this is where things get kind of grim, unfortunately, because... Nothing here can have a happy ending. In case you didn't know, at the end of the American Revolution, despite calls for equality among men and liberty and justice and all that fun shit. Bullshit nonsense. Slavery was not ended. In 1782, as the U.S. and Britain hashed out how this whole independence thing was going to work, the new nation requested a return of stolen property. And that meant, namely, the tens of thousands of runaway slaves. Now... The Brits only evacuated a few thousand, um, which thankfully they refused to return, while others were forced to flee to Florida and or states in the north that had already outlawed slavery previously. So the British did intend on giving some back, uh, which thankfully, it seems like most of them were able to, to run to freedom, though the British did return some slaves to change. Absolutely fucking pathetic. Yeah. Of around 5,000 or so slaves that fought for the revolution, whether as a proxy or, or substitute or, or otherwise, thousands were returned back to slavery. Um, like It's noted that uh, I believe at Yorktown, almost a quarter of the, uh, of the rebel army was black. So after fighting that pivotal moment of revolutionary history, a lot of men were put back in chains. In the South, all bets were off. Um, loyalists were evacuated by the British government, many taking their slaves with them, where they relocated to the Caribbean and other British imperial territories and allowed to continue their slave owner ways. In other places in the South, slaves found their masters were not returning, but found themselves enslaved by the newly independent American state of wherever the fuck. Some of the freed slaves who had fought in the ranks of the Continental Army returned to grab their families from bondage, being promised they were allowed to do that. And instead, uh, had their paychecks stolen that they accumulated from service and uh, find themselves also returned to slavery. I fucking hate it here. Yeah. Still, other freedmen were evacuated to England and London, uh, where also along with Canadian refugees, they were eventually voluntarily chose to leave that fetid island of England to resettle in Sierra Leone where they joined the Black Nova Scotians who had already moved there. Now, I use the term voluntary very loosely. Right. Um, it was almost like, look, you're never going to be equal here, motherfucker. Might as well try over there. Right? Uh, I can't imagine having to go from Nova Scotia to Sierra Leone on a fucking boat. That shit would suck ass. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. would, of course, famously do the same thing in Liberia. Yep. Uh, where I mean, Monrovia, folks. It was considered um, like the progressive... Um, right. uh, approach was yes, black people should be free, but also they don't need to fucking be here. here. Yeah, right. yeah. Today, uh, these people, the Nova Scotians and, and Londoners, make up what is known as the Sierra Leonean Creole minority. Um, so yeah, there's still quite a large population of them. Now, you're probably wondering why I made this episode so far from Fourth of July, and I've already explained why I did. Whoops. 
Now, this is the question that I want uh, people to mull about. I know I'm probably like, this isn't a bonus episode. This is a regular episode. So maybe we'll have some people who stumbled upon us by accident and don't know who we are, right? Sure. I want you to mull upon this idea in your head. How can you square a love for one's country, like patriotism, the love of freedom and liberty and the constitution, all of those things, without confronting, acknowledging, and understanding concepts like restorative justice within history, when your nation is something like Canada, the US, UK, Australia, or various others? How do you square that with one another when no attempt to right the historical wrongs has been made? Personally, I have no idea because I don't. Made my opinions very open about this. Um, I, I don't feel patriotism or love for my nation. Um, I, I feel like that's a weird idea to have. Uh-huh. But I would like to think that we gave people something to think about um, on days like 4th of July going forward, maybe. Maybe if you didn't already think that or didn't already know about the depths of depravity of the American Revolution. I will say, though, until we or anybody else acknowledge the piles of bones and justices and crimes that form the foundation of the United States and other countries and actively work towards educating and righting the wrongs of our history. In my opinion, any outward display of patriotism without some form of critical aspect is not just distasteful, it's disrespectful. I'll buy that. Yeah. That's that's the only thing I could square with this one. Um, and I normally don't end episodes with like a weird podium speech. It felt weird writing that. Okay. Uh, you know stuff you missed in history class, and they sort of toe the line of restorative justice and all that shit. I think we sort of have to be, we can cut this if you want, but like, I think it's our duty as two people, one of whom served in the military, one of whom did work for the United States federal government to uh, acknowledge our own wrongs and acknowledge that we, we have to be as loud as anyone in pointing out that this country has a pretty fucking sordid past and a, that we've been a part of it and B that, you can't just say, oh, I love my country, I love my country, and just and just absolutely piss on the graves of people who died for no good fucking reason other than George Washington didn't want to pay taxes. And uh, we don't dare to speak for the populations of people that we're talking about. No, of and, course not. And if you're going to ask us what that restorative justice looks like, I don't fucking know. But the fact remains is, like, I don't have children... Liam doesn't have children, but like the coming generations should be educated upon the actual foundation of whatever nation you happen to be a part of, this being the United States. And so, and probably going to say, because I've heard this in other cases, what does that accomplish? Like, what I, I can tell you, actually, um, obviously, this is not the same, but something like recognition means a lot. And I, I'll use my own experience because I can't possibly fathom any others, right? Uh, and that is, you know, last year, and that being 2020, the United States government officially recognized the Armenian genocide. Does that change anything in Turkey? Does that change anything in Armenia? No, it doesn't. But having the nation where you live recognize generational trauma and pain really does mean something. And pretending it didn't happen is just a fucking joke. Right. It's disrespectful. You are absolutely killing them twice. Obviously, this means a whole lot come more from the nation that did it. But like, you know, if you live in a place, even if the place that you lived in didn't do this crime or whatever, like not recognizing it is tactical denial, right? And that's effectively what we are doing is denial of all of this. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of confronting our past does not mean not learning it. Like people, people have constantly talked about tearing down statues and things like that. And uh, like, no, these people's statues shouldn't be in public. I don't think Washington should have a monument. I don't think no. any of those things. And I'm not saying that because Washington is not an important historical figure. We can learn about him in books, in museums, and documentaries. He shouldn't be lauded. He shouldn't be praised. Deified. I mean, the guy's fucking deified. Yeah, he really is. I think I believe there's like a painting of him pretty much being Jesus in more than one case, um, like with like a crown of laurels and shit. Mm-hmm. I think that's that. That's the problem is we're talking about dogma. We're not talking about history, right? We're talking about countering nationalistic historical dogmas, right? Uh, and that is poison, right? That's not academics. That's church. Uh, it's a civil religion. It is yeah. in the United States a civil religion. I mean, I don't really want to go off into the weeds in this, but like, that's something that everybody can confront a little bit on their own. Obviously, this show will never be more powerful than a school. Um, 
And uh, I mean, if you noticed, I did my best not to swear all that much in this episode. I'm sorry. I didn't do that. No, it's my fine. Bad. I didn't know we weren't swearing. I generally swear more, therefore, uh, because I talk more. Therefore, I was a self-censorship thing because... If you know somebody who truly believes in this dogma, maybe they should listen to this. I don't think it will change their mind. I don't think it will. But it's worth a shot. Because as our world spins more and more into madness, our education system is going with it. Yep. Because I can remember, I know this is very regional as well. I learned about slavery in school. I learned about racism in school. I learned about, I mean, they didn't use the word genocide, unfortunately, but I learned about what we did to the natives in school. Mm. And this is twenty, almost 20 years ago now. Um, and that's going away. It's like our education is actually getting oh, worse. It's critical race theory, and it's like no, you right. have to, you have to appreciate in the same way that like you're not being serious about a relationship if you can't like identify faults within your partner. Like you can't. I and like not that you should be a patriot anyway. You shouldn't be. Uh, Joe and I are both, I think, of the belief that there shouldn't be countries in the first place. But you can't. You can't be serious about your country or anything to do with your country without examining the ugly bits of it. And there are ugly parts of it. And you have to, you have to fucking live with it. You have to understand that like, like Abed Arbery, like people are still being killed in public. Yeah. And like to, to, to pretend racism's over whatever, when it still has a pretty fucking healthy heartbeat is, is disgraceful. And it's not just some guy in Georgia. It's the whole fucking rotten thing. Yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of the thing: institutional racism, systemic right, racism, right, because it's right. built into the core of our nation, it's built into the education system. It, it absolutely is, and until yeah. we confront that and excise it like the fucking fetid tumor that it is, like you you can't progress very far. No, you're not serious if you if you can't. No, confronting history is one of the whole reasons we did this show. We do this show, and we'll continue doing this show as long as people want to want us to. Like. This shit's destructive. Just because it happened in the 1700s doesn't mean I can see. I we I made the joke before. The only kind of trickle down shit that exists is bad, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is. It's still that's there. The damn, that's the damn truth. Yeah, I mean, like until we we look at the pillars of American society, and if you're not from America, you can use this on your own country as well. Most countries are guilty of this. Um. Until until you confront the pillars of American study that are not history but they're dogma, like you can never progress. You'll constantly end up back to where you were in the first place, uh, and it's it's going to piss a lot of people off. That's fine. I'm sure we've already pissed off a lot of people. Be mad. We don't care. I I, I honestly do not. Um, I hope it made you mad. It, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I, hope I hope this episode makes mad. mad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because occasionally learning something. It hurts sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rip, rip, the fucking band, rip the fucking bandaid, baby. Yeah. I feel like we've podiumed long enough. I, that will count as our question from the Legion today, I suppose. That's fine. Liam, use this as your plug zone. Uh, 10,000 losses. Uh, leftist Philly Sports Podcast. Well, there's your problem. Uh, leftist Engineering Disasters Podcast with slides. I have no other podcasts. Give us money on Patreon. Support the show on Patreon. You make everything we need possible. Buy my books. They're free Buy if you books. have Kindle Unlimited. Uh, and until next time, I don't know. Don't be an idiot. Don't don't be don't be an asshole. Yeah.